Chapter 13 of Prisoner of the Mill. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christian Bilka. Prisoner of the Mill by Harry Hazelton. Chapter 13 The Cave and the Contest for Life. After two days spent in the cabin, Nettleton became excessively uneasy. From something which had transpired, he conceived that old Mage knew more of Walker's whereabouts than she had yet confessed. This conviction, once formed, was but the prelude to action. Without informing any one of his purpose, he followed the old woman into the woods, whither she went in pursuit of her medicaments, having in his hand a stout rope. In a wild, retired spot, he confronted her. Look here, old critter, your closed mouth when it would be better for your health to talk a little. Now ye just tell me where Cap'n Walker has taken Miss Mamie. Talk straight, and not a gap in the fence. I don't know where he has gone, she answered rather evasively. That is, you are a natural-born know-nothing. Well, it will assist your memory, perhaps, to stretch your neck a little. Just to take the kinks out, you know. So pass your shock a toe into this air noose while I pull you up on that limb and suiting the action to the word, he flung the noose dexterously over her head. She was taken by surprise, and trembling in every limb, asked, Would you hang me? Sartin as there's a tree, and here's a rope. I don't know where Walker is, but I think he has a place of refuge down the river, near the ghost swamp. There's a cave in the river's bank, opposite of the swamp, where I know his confederates occasionally secret themselves. He may have gone there, but as he has been gone over two days, I don't see why I should be there now. It's my opinion, however, that Miss Mamie, as you call her, is there, as it is the best place to keep her. Ah, thank you, old Miss Crowsfoot. There's something more on your mind, isn't there? Madge looked at him inquiringly. I know all about your friend's visit, so do you just play your cards right, or I'll catch you niggin'. This allusion to her friend startled the old woman. He was no friend of mine. He came along on his own account, and I only gave him bread, as I will give anyone who is hungry. All right, only what did he tell you? She hesitated. Nettleton gave the rope a twitch and looked up at the limb. The hint was enough. The man said he was up from below on a scout. He was anxious to know what I knew about the voice of a woman which he said he had heard all along the river. He heard it distinctly as he passed the road along the river by the ghost swamp. Others had heard it, and he believed that I could tell him something as to its meaning. I told him it was a sign that he was singled out for death, that every person who heard it was called, and he might, therefore, make up his mind that his time was come. With that he left. I did not inform him of who was in my cabin, nor anything about what had happened here. So I hope you will let me go, and frighten me no more. Nettleton slowly lifted the noose from her neck, and, without another word, walked back to the cabin. He called out Lieutenant Wells, who was then watching at the captain's bedside, and the two friends held a long consultation together, which ended by an order for a guard of twenty to be ready for a night expedition. By ten o'clock all were in readiness and on their way, taking the river path downstream, Wells was in command. Nettleton acted as a scout and guide. All night long they pressed on, 
and daylight found them on the hills opposite the spot indicated by Madge as the locality of the cave in the bank. Asking Wells for his field glass, Nettleton carefully scrutinized the river bank opposite. After a short survey, he suddenly exclaimed, The engine is sure as Sacramento! What did you say? inquired Wells. Fall leaf! See him? There he lays, and there is the cave. I'm blessed if I know what to make of it. I suppose, of course, that that red skin was roasted alive in the mill. But there he is, and here I goes. So saying, down he dashed into the river and forded its waters rapidly. Once on the opposite side, he hurried up the bank and soon reached the ledge across which the Indian was lying. The poor fellow was but half conscious from over fatigue and hunger, yet his eyes were fixed with cat-like vigilance upon the aperture of the cave, while his hand still firmly clasped the knife upon which he relied to do his deadly work. Nettleton approached him silently and touched his feet. At once the Indian looked behind him. Give Fall Leaf drink quick, was his hurried whisper, while the finger on his lip indicated silence. Nettleton comprehended at a glance, passing his canteen and knapsack to Fall Leaf. He beheld the Indian drink and eat with satisfaction. Not a word passed between them. Good, Fall Leaf much weak, now strong again, he whispered. Where's Miss Mamie? The Indian pointed to the cavern. Walker, too? Fall Leaf nodded and scowled so fiercely that Nettleton perceived the savage wanted no interference in his case. Shan't I do the job for you? No. Fall Leaf mad. Me kill him. You go away. That's the talk, Injun. You shall have your man, but Jerusalem, don't I ache to get my paws on him. A noise was now heard in the cave. It was Walker's voice. I'll not permit you to sing. I again tell you. If those men crossing the river are Union soldiers, you shall not betray our whereabouts, and if Fall Leaf moves, I'll shoot him. Bah, you ornery cuss, I'm on your track now, shouted Nettleton. William, dear William, cried the captive woman, recognizing his voice. Here, he responded, and so chock full of the devil that if I don't get rid of it soon, it will spile me. Walker, you dirty beast, dare you fight me, he yelled. I dare fight any decent antagonist, but don't care to dirty my hands with you, was the reply. Oh, you nasty, miserable, thieving woman-stealer, man-assassinator, I'll cook your breakfast for you, but Fall-Leaf shall eat it. He'll dirty his hands with you. I defy you and all your crew, growled the rebel. If one of you dares to show your head, you are a dead man. Blast your pitcher, here's a head, shoot it cried Nettleton, sticking his head out in a manner to dare Walker's fire. The scoundrel was prepared and discharged his gun in an instant. Its report had not ceased its echo ere Fall Leaf, with a bound like a panther, dropped before the entrance of the hole. Walker stood there with knife in hand to foil any such attempt to storm his castle. A quick blow with his foot sent the Indian headlong over the ledge. Try that on me! roared Nettleton, who, uninjured by the ball from Walker's musket, was at the Indian's heels. No sooner said than done, and Nettleton received an unexpected blow in the bowels from the rebel's heavy boot which sent him almost instantly over the edge after Fall Leaf. That was the propitious moment for escape. Without a word to his captive, he passed out upon the ledge, and had nearly reached his terminus when Lieutenant Wells, followed by his men, confronted the desperate man. Drawing his revolver, Wells cried, Surrender, 
or you're a dead man. I will never surrender to you, was the fierce reply, as the now-cornered desperado began slowly to retire backward to regain his stronghold. He had retreated fully halfway to the entrance when his heel caught on the rough floor of the ledge and his balance was lost. For a moment he sought to regain his foothold, but, finding it gone, he gave a shout and leapt over the precipice. The soldier looked over the ledge and saw his form disappear in the trees beneath. Wells did not wait, but rushed to the cavern mouth. Miss Mamie! A form darkened the passage, and within stood Miss Hayward, smiling and blushing as if just caught at her toilet. With a cry of joy, Wells entered and clasped her to his bosom. Safe and uninjured! Thank God! Thank God! answered the maiden. Safe and restored, and, thank God, your brother, too, is recovered, and is now in our hands doing well. Then I am happy indeed, she could only reply while tears of joy checked further utterance. Wells had entirely forgotten Walker in his moment of sweet communion with his restored friend, but a shout which came up from the depths below recalled him to duty. It was a wild Indian war-whoop, then a succession of ejaculations which the men could plainly distinguish. Go in, Injun! Walk along, Walker, you darn skunk you! There, that's a good un engine. Now another in the corn rib. There he goes. Hooray for the engine! All well knew the meaning of this, and a number of the men hastened to the base of the cliff by a long roundabout path, which came up from the river to the ford below. They arrived to find Walker slain and Fall Leaf badly cut in the face, arms, and shoulder, but no serious wounds on the body. Nettleton stood over his friend, bathing his wounds in the clear water of the river. Engine's done for the cutthroat, sure. It was mean to shut me out, but it was his game, cause he treat it. I'd give all I'll ever be worth. Would you give Sally? put in one of the men. Dang, Sally, no. Dang my skin, that is. Dang me if I wouldn't give my commission, boys. That's it give my commission to have had the satisfaction of doing Fall Leaf's work. Nettleton looked savagely at the body of the dead man, seeming to feel that he had made a personal sacrifice in permitting the Indian to kill his enemy. It would appear that both Fall Leaf and Nettleton, when kicked off the ledge, fell at its foot without injury, as the base was banked up to a considerable distance with the decayed and water-soaked debris of the bank, down which they had rolled into the water. They had recovered, and stepped out into the stream to look up to the ledge, when they beheld Wells and Walker confronted. In a moment the rebel staggered, and went bounding off the ledge, and, like his two antagonists, came tumbling and sliding down the declivity, landing at the water's brink upon his feet. There he was received by the Indian, with the wild whoop which startled those above. Nettleton, in honor bound not to interfere, stood by while the two fierce foes closed in deadly conflict. Walker, though a resolute and strong man, was not equal in a knife fight to the supple savage. After a few passes, Fall Leaf buried his knife in the rebel's bosom. Thus closed the career of a bad man, bad by nature, but rendered doubly bad by the cause which he espoused. To serve that cause he had to betray his country, desert his friends, stifle the voice of conscience, perjure his honor, become a hypocrite and a deceiver. After that, all other degrees of crime were easy. Wells followed the men at length, 
and appeared on the spot. He was shocked at the sight before him, but conceded its justice. His own wish was to have secured Walker for trial and punishment according to military law, yet it must be acknowledged that, many times, he felt like wrecking condign personal vengeance on the head of the man who had wrought so successfully in crime. He ordered the body to be buried in the debris at the foot of the cliff, and there repose today, with no monument save the cave above, which will long remain as a witness to the traitor's crime and traitor's doom. End of chapter 13